welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. This is Light, the Light Fingered Thief. And today I'm joined by Logar. Hello, I am Logar, the Barbarian. And a very special guest. Brian Young. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> welcome, Brian. <laughs> like, Brian Young, what class are you? <laughs> uh, I've been called a sage by Peter Bradley, who's our artist and layout guy. For, you know, Troll Lords. He just calls me the sage. <laughs> All right. So we have Brian Young, the sage to, today with us. So yeah. Brian, you want to introduce yourself? Let us know who you are and what type of stuff you've been working on. Sure. Well, I'm a scholar. I have a bachelor's in history and I have a master's from the University of Wales in Arthurian studies. I should have my doctorate by now, but that's a story in itself and I'm getting it started and I have my thesis and all that and my advisory committee and all that stuff going and it's uh, quite a thesis. But uh, on top of all that, I deal with Celtic languages. I've taught college for a decade and I should be going back this fall. I've taught public education, been in broadcasting for 30 years on and off. I uh, had TV shows, radio shows, a lot of good stuff. I discovered gaming and ancient history at the same time back in the early 80s in the Satanic Panic, which I saw, I saw, uh, you know, on your on your post that uh, very podcast show too. By the way, yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun one. <laughs> I know because this town was hit hard by that, and I represent that perfectly because I wore black, which I do now. Have long hair. Was into heavy metal, into gaming, the whole everything, and <laughs> you know, I was wearing martial arts. I was part Asian. I was everything bad about everything in this town at that time, <laughs> and boy, I was suffering bad. But I got through it, and I'm still the same way. So that changed. They did not win. Ah, that's true. You got to stay true to yourself, <laughs> right? Uh huh. Yep. Through all that, I didn't start really designing game stuff of my own till the '90s for some reason. I've been an artist since I was four. And I just started, I don't know, it just started happening by the early 90s on. And uh, my game history is different than most people. Most people went TSR, you know, they just right. latch on TSR. I went contrary. I went with chivalry and like sorcery and Bushido, which, by the way, I dug out those books last night on Bushido because I'm working on, well, the current codex on ancient Japan right now. And I just want to look at some of my old influences and references from the old days and, uh, you know, that book was way ahead of its time back in 90, uh, back in 82. That book's amazing for what they did back then. For for all the problems and faults in it, it was still way ahead of its time back then. And I'm amazed at what they did. Even if the games I ran in, the, in my gaming group back then couldn't play Ninja or Samurai well. <laughs> I mean, I could tell you the adventures and they were just hilariously bad. But all the same, I went contrary to normal gaming then and now. It wasn't intentional. It's just how I guess I am. So uh, you have a really nice, I want to put this out to the, let the listeners know. So Brian has written quite a few books for Troll Lord games that I have, and I'm a big fan of. They're the code that I guess they're called codex books. Yeah. What they are is, is if you remember back in the day, TSR put out some green books of like historic mm -hmm. periods. It's kind of like that. They're overviews of historic periods. So there's there's quite a few of them. There's now I've got two versions of the Codex Celtarium. Is it pronounced Celtarium? Am I saying that right or am I butchering it? Or is it Celtarium? <laughs> Celtarium, yeah. Yeah. It has a history of its own. That that was the first of my early projects that I started game designing with. It started out as what I called Chirnanog, or basically like Chernaya in Old Irish. And it basically means the land of the ever young, the other world. 
And it started out as my first gaming game design project. And a local friend of mine had started designing this multi-genre game of his own that was uh, called Adventure Maximum here in town, by the way. I started designing this setting for that, for actually that rule set of his. It kind of started out as a pseudo-fantasy setting, and then it evolved into where my Celtic interests and my studies kind of merged into that. And then I realized I was really good at Celtic studies. I was, I was kind of natural to it. And then it just evolved into this project and it went through multiple drafts throughout, you know, it, it, I mean, it's kind of like a lot of people where they just write a lot of stuff and they go, well, someday I'm going to get this thing done. <laughs> you know, you know, yeah, over and over and over. How many, how many drafts of whatever project have you ever written? And it never sees a lot of day. And this was that project for like five drafts. And I still have all those drafts here, by the way. And I went through my first degree back in the late 90s, early 2000s, which was my history degree. And I kept swearing, boy, I want to get that darn thing done. But, I mean, because if I got through college and I wrote all those papers and then six months later, I'm teaching college. Why can't I finish this darn game book? <laughs> why? Why? And then, you know, you know, actually, I'm teaching college. And then three years later, I'm in grad school and I'm writing these 40 page papers on ancient Celtic history on the age of Arthur and this and that. Why can I not freaking get this book done? And then, you know, of course, gradually, my old friend, Peter Bradley, who lived in Oklahoma at the time, to make a long story short, a former writer at TSR, Gary Kantz, or however you say his last name, he was going to write for Steve a book that, that basically was the Codex on Ancient Germany, and the project never finished. Now, at the time, Gary Gygax was writing for Troll Lords at the time. And through a misplaced series of events, by then, I was in grad school getting that master's from a college in Wales, which was, by the way, I'm the first and then only, only graduate to have gotten that degree back in 2007. And it got my fluency in like Welsh and Celtic languages, of course, where it's like a second language now, all that. But all that aside, by then, that codex on ancient Germany never followed through. And Peter contacted me and said, well, have you got any ideas, projects, and this and that and stuff? And I said, well, I had this Celtic project thing that I just never had finished. Then I sent it to him and sent it to Steve. And Steve wrote me back and said, oh, my gosh, you've got all this stuff, <laughs> all these fairy powers and abilities and things and all this Celtic myth and stuff that is just sitting there. And I said, well, yeah, I've been working on it for like 20 something years. And well, nobody's ever seen it because, you know, I used to live at game conventions like everybody. I'd go to them all the time and sell my artwork and nobody gave it a second glance because, I mean, just like everybody, once again, everybody has a project. And how many times people gone by and had a table at like a game company and said, well, I've got this stuff and right. want to see it. And everybody gets so numb to it that they don't care after a while. And, you know, as I, back in the 90s, I was kind of like a professional artist. So actually I sold my Celtic artwork everywhere. It's in private galleries and stuff around the state here and all this. And so being an artist, I kind of was already aware that I didn't want to scare people away with my project of projects. And so actually when Steve saw this, he said, well, you know, could you write this thing up in like a month? When you first started, then were you writing as a system agnostic RPG supplement then, or was it geared towards something already? Well, it was meant for Adventure Maximum, which was that friend of mine's game system. Which by the which by then he had the first edition already out, and we had been to three Gen Cons, and and I, also keep in mind that this was the old Gen Con back in the nineties, yep. when it was uh, you know far up north, up in Wisconsin. Those are the good old days too, by the way. You know, and we'd gone to those. We had gone to uh, you know, like often regions and everything, and I had which I had that binder 
not too far from here with those old typed up rules. And I wrote this stuff in an old typewriter back then. I drew all the stuff. <laughs> I mean, I still have it. I could probably sell it someday and who knows if it would sell, but you know, maybe I was midway through my master's and I pulled that stuff out one day and I decided, well, heck with it. I want to sit down and write this stuff. And this is long before I had talked to Steve and I swore I was going to freaking type this thing up because I'd written four or five 40 page papers for this master's. And I, I was just so fed up. I just said, I'm going to get this thing done. And then suddenly Steve said, well, you know, like if you couldn't write this thing up in a month, and this was back in July of 2003, then basically, you know, he said, well, then like, we'll get it up and going by fall of that year. And then we'll get it out. I said, well, you know, four or five drafts and I failed to do it in all these years. How in the world am I going to get this thing done? And then I just sat down on my laptop then and, and I just wrote like a madman. But the problem was, was that, that first edition, which I call like a Berserk version. <laughs> it's very different from the newer one that was released. Right, it's right. Very, they're two, and, they're both the same in name. They're very different covers and the interior right. contents are very different as well. <laughs> There's a reason. There's a reason. And that's because the first version, I had to cut out what I really wanted in it, which was everything in the second edition, which was all of Celtic Europe, literally all of Celtic Europe, everything from Celtic Spain to Celtic Italy to Celtic Eastern Europe, everything, absolutely everything that embodies Celtic studies as a whole. While at the time when I wrote this first edition out, I was in a fervor and almost just encapsulated what was then my master's, which was the Age of Arthur, post-Roman Britain. And I had regretted cutting out pretty much essentially everything that was truly, you know, of the ancient Celtic world. And I'd always kind of had regretted it, you know, which was a good thing in a way because it kind of put me on the map. I mean, it did, obviously, because it got right. me in all these role-playing game history books and things, which was <laughs> really great. And, you know, I completely did not expect that. But though, I always deep down had regretted it thinking, gosh, you know, that book kind of sucks because <laughs> I mean because all of Celtic Europe's not in there I mean I left out everything everything I also subconsciously thought well because I taught college I dumbed it down because I didn't want to use those $20 words because because when I taught college all my students would look at me in terror and go don't use those big grad school words <laughs> so actually in my book this first edition I really did dumb it down then I got onto the German book then I got onto the Viking book and as I did more and more of these books I kept thinking no I'm not going to dumb it down because if you're aiming to use this stuff in these cultures then you're really wanting to use this stuff really and you intentionally know what, what, what you're kind of getting into. Sure. I mean, you want to be authentic to the culture. You want to be authentic right. to the uh, actual happenings of the world. So obviously getting hardcore and deep into it, it's going to be important for your writings. Right. So years later, I'm teaching public school. Before I moved back to where I live now in this little town called Enid here, I decided that I'm going to rewrite that Celtic book the way I intended 20 plus years ago. So how many years separated first and second edition? I rewrote it at the end of 2015. So it would have been... So 12, 13 years? Yeah, just about. So is the first edition still available or, or is it only second edition right now? Uh, there's copies, I think, available on maybe eBay, possibly on Amazon. I don't know what they go for right now. I have quite a few boxes of them, actually, uh, because at the very beginning when it first all came out, I had boxes of this and the Viking one because I was at cons but uh i don't know how many copies are still there which by the way on the same subject we're going to put out a second edition of the viking codex soon oh 
How different is that going to be from the original? I'm curious. That's what I'm pondering because I put so much in this, into that <laughs> book that I don't know. And with that new movie called The Norseman, which is right, which, which I haven't seen yet, but 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 I can already tell. Yeah, I can already tell it's going to be an amazing movie. But just because all the right things are there, as opposed to those terrible shows like The Vikings, which I cannot stand watching ten minutes of. <laughs> I mean, really, those shows are those shows don't have it right but the norsemen look exactly like they know what they're doing that kind of stuff is what i go for i'm gonna have to really delve deep to go into what i'm going to add into that second edition one thing i was afraid of early on like in the slaughter book is i didn't want to get so exotic into the writing styles that i wanted to scare people away but now i don't care i'm excited i would like to see i like the slaughter book it's interesting it's very yeah. unique and i and i would love to see a new edition with a lot of different stuff I, oh, here's gonna... the thing I, if you're going to pick up the, the the Codex Celtarium, I say if you can get both of them, get both of them because there's so much different content that you just got more yeah. content if you have both of them. I want to do a second edition of the Slavic book and I want to do it more correctly because, because I went through this book where I wrote half of it in six months and I didn't touch it again for a year. So, so actually there was a gap in my writing and so I didn't go back to it for almost a year later. You know, I look at these books as like time capsules of history, which sure. is unfortunate. Now, luckily, since those days, and I go back four or five years, I don't have that problem anymore. And these four newest books that are, that are coming out are some of my finest books I've ever written. So what are the four newest books? Oh, boy, there's some good stuff. The really good stuff. So if you can tell us, if you're allowed to preview, what, preview oh, yeah. it to us. <laughs> yep, yep. One of them is the Codex on Ancient China, which took me six months to write. That book is 100,000 words. It is as large as my second edition Celtic Codex, by the way. The Celtic Codex is 200,000 words. The, the Chinese book is 100,000, which means that it's it is half the size of this but they've been editing it for four months now <laughs> four months the chinese book's been in editing since march and they've been working on art and by the way i did the korean book just because my great-grandfather on my dad's side was part korean and part japanese and he came over like 100 years ago it's a weird story but the family on that side thought we were all we were all korean but as DNA has proven and about 70 news articles about him have shown we're Japanese, <laughs> <laughs> very Japanese. We were less Korean than we are Japanese. And so what well, I'm, I'm midway through writing on the Japanese book right now. And it's, it is one of my finest books I've ever done. I think after the Chinese book, we have the book on ancient Korea, which took me about my usual writing time, about three something months to write, which was difficult to write because every source I had was in Korean. I don't know a lot of Korean, but I tried and I think it came out pretty well. And it's unlike anything ever out at all. Then I have a two-part campaign series of like adventures that are 42 tales in the age of Arthur taken from my actual Celtic masters. And actually, I designed this the year after I graduated to kind of honor it, it's basically book one and book two, part one and part two. One of them goes up to the Battle of Baden Hill, and then the other one ends at the Battle of Camlin. And basically players can earn their rank like alongside like the war band of Arthur, and they go on these quests and do things both in all the worlds, the underworld and everything. So do you start at like a level one squire or are you already the nope. level uh, one knight? <laughs> they could be like first level type adventurers, type magic users. Uh, I explained in the books kind of what, what the idea is and it'll all like work in tandem to basically the Celtic Codex and the German one and the classical one. 
and all those books will work all together as a whole. I use both Celtic myth and uh, a little touch of like the medievals, but not a whole lot era, simply because this is like in the 500s post-Roman era from sort of the Celtic point of view. And there's no knights and there's none of the chivalry stuff, you know, because a lot of people think of Arthur and they think of that stuff, but this is not that. This is not that at all. This has giants and gods and all the fairy folk from the Celtic point of view and the Saxon invasions and the Pictish invasions from all the North and the Irish pirates and all that good stuff. And then it basically has that little hint of the attitude that the Romans are not done. Even though Rome has fallen, they're not quite settled with the idea that they're fallen yet. And that the Eastern like Roman Empire has basically is trying to gain back power over like the West and and, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. And in these 42 some adventures, boy, I mean, if players can get through it, and I've ran this campaign three times since then, since, since actually like 2008, it is tough and gruesome. It is gruesome. There's two modules that go together in, with, in, con, in conjunction with that is what you said? Well, basically when it's all said and done, there are going to be two books full of like adventures, yeah. So will they be full? Like, like, the, like, like, how many, how many words or pages books? Are you, are you talking about the little? Because I got a lot. I got a bunch of Troll Lord modules. They're like the old, mo, the old D and D modules, little paper modules. Or right, we're talking right. about a big hardback book. Yeah, type yeah. Thing, or like a larger book. I mean, they're probably going to end up being hardback campaign books, full of campaign 20, books. Twenty-one to twenty-two like adventures. Uh, that oh that, wow. Uh huh. And. And the fact that all the adventures go from point A to point B and they have to be ran in sequence, they actually have a story arc in them. Yeah, that sounds that I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get there. That would be a fascinating campaign to try to run and read through. I think that'll be cool. I love like I've been reading through those those codexes for quite a while. And I we're starting our game. Actually, we're getting ready to start a new Castles and Crusades game up, hopefully this Saturday. I saw and, that poster yours. Yeah. And we're going to be doing some collaborative world building. I know at least one of my players is a historian. He's a hard, he's a brilliant hardcore historian. And I'm really excited to put these books and see what he has to throw in this collaborative world building in the codex as I'm playing. I keep it out there like, hey, let's see what we can pull from these. One of the cool things is they all have classes that are kind of unique to that historic Mm -hmm. period and, and place. I think there is different classes in both of the different Celtariums. Am I correct? The two Celtic ones? I was wanting to add more and more and more to each one, but Steve was wanting to have less less classes per book simply because he thought it was going to get so out of hand with so many classes that basically it was going to become hard to keep up with. Yeah, I mean, that's very true because there are some game systems that have put out so many... Um... Classes. Classes. Yeah. And yeah. options. So yeah. I can see where uh-huh. he's trying to keep it yeah, streamlined a little bit. I won't name names. <laughs> I won't name names, but the, I know the games you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Castles yeah. and Crusades. It gives a lot more options than maybe like your mm-hmm. BX and stuff like that. Right. I feel that it appeals to a lot of people that are in newer games, but at the same time, it does keep it reeled in and doesn't get out of control. Right. Yeah, it's a lot more open. I mean, see, in the Japanese book, I'm going to go from the time of the Jomon period, which is the prehistoric era, all the way up to the Kamakura Shogunate. But the problem with that is that that is still not the golden age of the samurai. 
And that's not when all the ninjas show up as we know right. them. And that's not when the geisha are living in the picture, by the way. But I'm still going to have to throw them in a little extra in the book because that's what people are going to look for. They're going to go, oh, well, gee, there's no code of Bushido yet. And blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, sorry, but, you know, all, all of the codices that I've written always go up to about the 1200s-ish. They always kind of go that way. And even in the Chinese book. Which I go from the Shang Dynasty all the way up to the time of the Mongol invasion, which is actually the same time period. And that's a lot of history to cover. <laughs> that's a lot of history to cover, by the way. Which, by the way, when I get the Japanese book finished, I'm going to do the Codex on the Steppe cultures, by the way, too, next. That's ah, cool. That'd be pretty cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, oh my gosh, the actual, the actual scope of that is going to be just immense just because there are, there are actually like the Huns, obviously look like all the Mongols. Gosh, there's just like dozens of actually all the cultures in that area uh, going all the way from Asia, all the way into all the parts of Europe. They are all kind of united in a way. You know, I'm going to try to bring them all together. Now, now, actually, down the line, I'm going to be writing about three codices that actually are with all the tribes of the Americas. And there has been no role-playing games that I'm aware of that have covered all the Americas yet. No, I don't believe so. I think someday I tried to do a 5e supplement uh, recently, trying to cover some of the Native American indigenous tribes. I don't think they, to your point, tried to span you know all within North America, for example. And so certainly... Very exciting to see that we're going to get these type of codexes because obviously, personally, I'm super excited to see, you know, your Chinese codex, your Korean and Japanese codexes as well, too, because obviously I'm Asian. So for me, yeah, I know. Yeah. It was yeah. super exciting to see something that will be properly represented versus the, you know, we've talked about, you know, the old D&D first edition Oriental Adventures, which had some, you know, questionable tropes in it, <laughs> which you had uh, alluded to earlier. Right. Yeah. You know, because, you know, I'm just what's called a halfie or, or half blood. So actually, uh, you know, for like most of my life, I, I, I was aware of it when I was younger and then my parents pulled up. So I latched onto my mom's side, which was the European side. So I didn't really grow up with some of that problem, but now later in life, I'm latching back onto the other half. And now, now looking back on all of those old role-playing games, I hate to say like, or I hate to say like Oriental like adventures and oh my gosh, I look at the book. And I'm looking at what I'm writing, and and then then I'm thinking, oh yikes! <laughs> I mean, for its time back in the mid '80s, yeah, they they didn't know what they were doing, <laughs> right? You know, and uh, and I kind of and I kind of am saying that what I'm doing with these Asian codices is our version of those books, but done correctly now. You know, because now we're giving everybody their proper uh, place. Correct. You know, finally. It's not like they're all smooshed together. In oh, no. G- generic. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, because what was sad is that that the actual book was intended to be vaguely everybody Asian, but it ended up being sort of semi-Japanese. But even in the Japanese view, it was wrong. Right. It was so wrong. See, I'm about to do chapter three in the, in the Japanese Codex right now. That's going to cover all the Oni, all the Yokai, all of it. And I'm going to cover literally all of them. Every one of them. That's going to be super awesome because some of the culture lore features is quite amazing. Yeah. And I have access to two of the databases from Japan. And I'm going to go over every one of them. Which is going to mean that that chapter is going to have hundreds of them in it. Hundreds of them. Now, the Chinese book alone, 
I have, I've counted, there's, a, there's almost 200 some beings in that chapter from ancient China. And, and I could have made it 300, but though uh, some of those creatures just were not kind of relevant to gameplay. And I have kind of a criteria for what I put into those chapters that uh, like a game master or a castle keeper can choose what they want from uh, those cultures based on how relevant it's going to be in gameplay. Sure. And, and so, like, so like if I put it in a book and I give it stats, that means that it's going to probably interfere in direct gameplay somehow. If it's just a weird random creature with weird colors and something coming out of myth that doesn't directly interfere in some way from ancient tales, then it probably doesn't get stats. But if it's something outright so strange and outlandish that comes from ancient tales and myths that I know for sure nobody has ever put in a book, then it's going to get in there. And, you know, what was sad is that three or 4,000 years ago, there was an ancient Chinese book full of creatures from myths all around China that was lost to us. And if I had access to that book, there, there would be over 11,000 creatures in that chapter. <laughs> and it, it, it just angers me that book was lost to history. <laughs> Well, so wait, I would I would buy the monster manual with eleven thousand creatures in the stats for <laughs> oh yeah for sure yeah yeah I, I think does. that I think that I, as much as I would love to see that for castles and crusades it might work easier for swords and wizardry because they're super small stat block <laughs> I dug I dug every every follow up lead in in all the Chinese sources I could on that ancient text that that basically had little copies of it that I could just just at the time I was writing a codex, just so I can get little bits and pieces of whatever I could from that, just because just like all ancient sources and texts, somebody quotes from this text right. later on, you know, and I put some stuff in that codex, I mean, in the Chinese one, that that like people that I know for sure are going to later on go, oh, hmm, I didn't think of that. And then, of course, other books are going to be copying me later, like they probably already have been on all these other books for the last 10 years that, I, of course, I have no idea about. But then, you know, they're, they're going to you know, there's nobody that's going to come back later and say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that from that codex. <laughs> but, you know, I've been a scholar since I've been like, well, since I've been almost 12 or 13, because I discovered gaming and ancient history and myths all at the same time. And also on that same coin, you could say that I have projects with chivalry and like sorcery, that old game, which is now owned by a company out of England. And I have projects with them, which actually I'm going to be writing some Japanese gaming stuff that with them soon too, by the way. But that's once this Japanese codex is out of the way, just because this book is massive because it took me a month and a half to write the last chapter. And I put every province from, from actually the Nara period in that last chapter, just because they don't change all the way up to really about the end of the Kamakura Shogunate to the time of the Edo period. And that's when they start shifting around things. And, you know, and that's out of the scope of the book anyway. I also give space and voice to all the Ainu that's in the book now. And that they have their place in the book. And they'll have all their myths and all their monsters and everything in the book too. So it sounds like obviously you got quite a few things in the queue. And this would be coming out under Troller Games for Castles and Crusades system. Yeah. So can we expect to start seeing some of these come out in the fall? Or is it too soon to say? Well, Steve will... Probably, and I'll tell you more, but Steve told me that the Chinese book is going to be the first one in print from the company probably soon, probably in a few months, just because they just did some Kickstarter for something recently. But 
they're going to put my codex, the, the Chinese one, the first one in print out this year. Got it. And would that be via Kickstarter or just by via normal publishing? I, I think like always that he'll probably do like a Kickstarter just to help with uh, like shipping costs and odds and ends. He has some big, big plans, I think, with with actually that codex simply because I think these codices all do really well. <laughs> so yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and also, and also the fact that this Chinese codex is well big. And also, I also kind of introduced some new stuff in this Chinese codex just because it's the first of all the Asian set. Right. And I introduced Chi and Chi powers, Chi abilities. And I introduced that whole new concept and also uh, there's not a lot of rules on like martial arts in general in the game system. And I introduce nope. a whole new way of doing that in the game. Uh, so there's new game mechanics that will be in this first book. Right. Aside right. from source material and history, there'll be actual game mechanics that you can add right. to your game yeah. that will impact gameplay directly. And then I use that same framework in the Korean book. And obviously I will follow through in the Japanese book. And basically you can kind of interact with those books in the sure. same way. And so, you know, if you kind of think how the rules are in general, you know, it isn't heavy on the hand to hand rules. As of the Chinese book on, that's going to change. I hope so this will be building beyond the monk class that we've had before. Right. And and I know that the monk class has a bad sordid history going back to the D&D days. Yeah. Yeah. I hate to say going back to the Oriental Adventure days, because that was a terrible idea back in that book, just because I pull that whole book out every so often and i kind of like look at the book and then i think well that had promise <laughs> <laughs> and it failed right <laughs> and, and so i don't try to go there in the book i just skirt around it but i introduce cheap powers and abilities that are both kind of in the fantasy realm and i also do all the Jia stuff and and actually like uh everything from like all the wuxia concepts exactly and basically all the setting as well i introduce all of that in the chinese book that'd be exciting yeah yeah i mean because it's stuff that i know that people would kind of want to have it's just simply because outside of just the standard ancient myths and tales and monsters i think that they would want to just jump into that setting as well now actually in the korean book it's just the standard myths and tales and their things which actually oddly enough a lot of people don't know anything about i didn't grow up hearing a lot of that all i was ever told was that we had Korean blood. <laughs> that was it. And I wasn't told anything. And then, you know, meanwhile, I was doing Japanese stuff. <laughs> so it was, <laughs> yeah, everything was contradictive. So actually, actually, now I'm finding out it's totally different. And so, uh, you know, like my world is completely just changed around backwards. And my relatives on my dad's side are a little confused. They, <laughs> just because they see me posting all this Japanese stuff. And literally my DNA had done four tests, by the way tells me that I come from the Yayoi people. I mean, I mean, I mean, like those people are my ancestors, the actual Yayoi people. So actually, you know, they don't quite get it yet, but oh well. Well, with time, but certainly exciting to hear about this because as you mentioned, you know, there's historical aspects and then there's fantasy aspects, you know, there's things where we want to play like, you know, something from like, uh, you know, Bride with White Hair where it's total fantasy elements right, yeah. or traditional Wuxia with like Wong Fei Hong or something like that as well too, where you play a swordsman, you know? So yeah, really, uh, very eager to be able to see something that covers the more fantastical elements as well as something that might be a little bit more um, 
grounded in you know martial arts as as we have them today. I actually try to cover like the scale where it's kind of grounded, kind of more stable and kind of in reality, and then like a far extreme, just simply because I know that a lot of people like to go in both directions. At the time when I wrote it, I was really trying to keep up on well, because I know there's a lot of games out there that cover all of it, but but that's one thing about gaming too. Gaming in general they don't like to do lots of study, lots, lots of deep research. And so they always go the fantasy route. They don't like to go the real history myth route Correct. with actually all the study and like all the research and therefore all the language. And they just skip it. They just, they just, they like to hit all the keywords and little things. And then they just pass by all the deep, heavy type research. That's where all the good stuff's at. Right. Well, they just skim the surface, like you said. So yeah. having seen a lot of, like you said, other companies put out, material i look at it i was like well it looks like you guys just watched a couple movies from hong kong or china and then yeah, i know wrote, yeah wrote, wrote a game for it i'm like i'm i can't i can't really feel this game you know it, it, it pays a very lip service to it so having some more cultural backbone to it i think would be important could you tell the listeners where they could find your stuff online find you online and whatnot before we sign out oh yeah well sure uh well i have an author's page it's just well, that's the problem is there's a lot of authors with my name, but it's author Brian Young. But I guess I could put a link maybe on your... Uh... Yeah, we'll we'll put a link in the show notes to it. You just send me a link and we'll make okay. sure it gets up there. That'll work. Yeah, and uh, otherwise on on the Trollord site and on Amazon, just uh, type in one of the Codex names, such as Codex Calterum or any of them, th- then the rest will follow, I would think. Uh, I mean, because I'm on the verge of writing like book number 40 right now, <laughs> which is which actually is hard to believe. And also, this will be the 10th codex, by the way, this Japanese one. So actually, that'll be 10 of these books. Oh, my gosh. That's a scary thought. Now, on my author's page, I don't post very often because when I don't, I'm usually writing. And so when I <laughs> I mean, because I, I mean, because I truly say that if I'm not posting that I'm writing. And so actually, when I do post, it's an update. That's just saying, well, you know, I've been busy writing and here's what I've been writing. Well, thank you for coming on. If you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, please give us a positive review wherever you're listening. You can find us on Facebook, search Wildlies and Wizards. Wildliesandwizards.com is our blog. I'm on Twitter at Logar Hale Prom. We're on Patreon. We could use any support you give us if you like having a daily role-playing game podcast. Go to patreon.com backslash Wobblies and Wizards and give us any support you can. And as always, keep those dice rolling. Rolling with every game that you play.